What's going on, everyone? How are you? I dropped a brick. That's what that was. Nobody died. Nobody died. I know it scared me too. Uh, how's everyone doing? I just was up here, but um, let's give it one more one more round of applause for the fact that school is over. Give it up. Give it up. Give it up. Um, so here's the deal tonight. We are going to start uh, a new series. Every summer at Refuge, we um, kind of walk through a whole chunk of stuff for the whole summer. Last year, for example, uh, we walked through what was called Old School Summer at Refuge, and uh, we just looked through Old Testament stories throughout the whole summer. And so this year, as you can see, Summer at Refuge, Stories Jesus Told. Um, if we could go ahead and hit those lights, that would be awesome, guys. Um, stories Jesus Told. And here's what that means. All throughout, if you have a Bible, hopefully you do, um, by the way, if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 7 is where we are. And we always, always, always encourage you to bring a Bible. Um, and so all the seniors are feeling guilty. So they're going to pull their phones out as if they have a Bible. Um, Ashlyn's got a real Bible. She's old school. Um, so, but here's the deal. Every week, whether you're a senior or a sixth grader, we want you to bring your Bible. Every week, we are unapologetically in the Bible all the time. That's what we, we're all about, all right? And so, uh, we are studying through stories Jesus told, and what that means is uh, there's these things called parables. And the parables of Jesus are these, these stories that he told. All throughout, you'll see if you have a red-letter Bible, all these red letters are, are words of Jesus, and a lot of those words are stories that he's telling. And so if you're taking notes, which again, another thing we encourage you to do here is take notes, because here's what I know. Even if, uh, you know, Ben's up here, or I'm up here, and we just like preach the best sermon ever, you're going to forget it in like two days. That's just how it works, all right? If your mind it can only wrap it head, your head around uh, the, like the best things for a couple days, other than that, you have to write it down. And so we encourage you, write down what we're saying. So maybe you're taking notes tonight, which I hope you are. And if you are, I want to give you, as we start this new series through parables, what on earth is a parable? Here's what a parable is if you're taking notes. A parable is a small story with huge significance for my life. If you ever read your Bible and it says the parable of the sower or the parable of the two coins or the parable of, and you're always like, I don't know what that means. It's kind of a Bible word. Here's what I want you to know it means. A small story that Jesus tells, for the most part, they're all Jesus' parables, but it's got huge significance. Jesus would just be living everyday life with people, and he would look at objects like a mustard seed, or he would look at objects like, uh, like two coins, and he would tell a story about those things that would point to a huge, huge matter in their lives. And so us, 2,000 years later, we open up the Bible, and all summer we're going to look at these stories that Jesus told, and we're going to say, okay, they're small stories with huge significance for my life. And so here's where we are tonight in Matthew chapter 7. And specifically, again, everybody can benefit from this. This story is going to speak into all of our lives, but we, we pick this story specifically for you seniors. As you guys embark on a brand new season, maybe this summer you're going to be busy doing stuff, but at some point you're going to go to college, you're going to join, you're going to jump in the workforce, wherever you're going, we wanted to go, okay, let's look at Matthew chapter 7 and three or four verses that Jesus tells and, and speaks in this story that could change the way you view the next several years of your life. And if you're going into high school or you're here and you're going into junior high school, this is very significant. In Matthew chapter 7, if, you, if you're unfamiliar a little bit about Matthew, I want to kind of give you the backstory. Matthew chapter 7 is coming right out of a very significant sermon that Jesus preached. Does anyone know what the sermon is called? Come on, come on. There we go. Hey, Kara, thanks. 
The Sermon on the Mount, all right? Very, probably the best, the most famous sermon ever preached is by Jesus 2,000 years ago on a hillside called the Sermon on the Mount. And we find those, that sermon in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. And as we finish up that sermon, he says the words that we're going to look at tonight. And here's why that's important is because in this sermon, and I encourage you to read it tonight or tomorrow, no matter who you are, if you're a leader, if you're a student, open up your Bible in the next couple days and read Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter six, and Matthew chapter seven, because Jesus is saying some things and laying some things out that are crazy, countercultural. He's saying some things that we would look at and maybe in our own lives say, that's not what my life matches up to. And the Sermon on the Mount, just like it spoke 2,000 years ago, speaks right into our life today. And here's what it says. It says a bunch of crazy stuff. One of the things it says is it talks about not worrying. And he, he brings up birds of the air and flowers of the field and how they never worry about eating or they never worry about being clothed. So why, as the prized possession of God, would humans worry about the little things in our lives? And so people back then were like, wow, that's... That's revolutionary. And in our lives, as we, maybe some of you seniors getting ready to go to college, you're freaking out. And I was freaking out when I was your age too. And I'm like, what's going on? And you read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and Jesus is saying, don't worry. The flowers never worry about getting clothed. The birds never worry about what to eat. And God provides. Another thing it talks about in, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus calls Christians the salt of the earth. If you haven't been to main service uh, this weekend, I encourage you to go to the 630. Pastor Travis talks about that where he says that we are to be the salt of the earth. What does that mean? Well, salt, what does it do? It, it adds flavor, but if you've ever eaten a big you know, bowl of popcorn, it also makes you thirsty. And so as Christians, we are, Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, supposed to be salt of the earth. We are supposed to be something that makes people thirsty for whatever we have, but also adds flavor maybe to people's lives. And Jesus is saying these things, and people are going, whoa, I've never heard anybody talk like this. Jesus looks at things in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 like lust and murder, things that everyone looked at as outside things. Hey, don't murder. Don't kill somebody. Don't lust. Don't commit adultery. But Jesus flips it on him. He says, here's the deal. If you even look at a girl lustfully in your heart, you've already committed adultery. If you have anger towards somebody, you already have murdered them in your heart. People were like, whoa. I've never thought about murder and lust, not only just as outward things, but of inward motives. That It's still sin. It's still bad. It's still harmful to me talks about how we should pray. Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount how to pray. Maybe you've heard of the Lord's Prayer. That's, that's spelled out in, these, in this Sermon on the Mount. Why we shouldn't judge other people. All these things that maybe you've heard about on bumper stickers or on things your mom has hanging up in the den probably come out of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's super, super significant. And I want you guys to read it. But here's the deal tonight is what we're going to look at is the last thing that Jesus says as he's concluding sermons. When you're, when you're preparing sermons, let me kind of give you the insight, okay? When we sit in the room and we figure out what we're going to say at Refuge, or when we sit in the room on Tuesday mornings and we figure out what the main service message is going to be like, there's always a moment when we say, okay, how are we going to end it? How are we going to bring it home? How are we going to make people see this matches and, and, and clashes with your life and live it? And it's very important to see how you end something like this. And so Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 with a very weird but significant story. 
So that's what the setup of tonight is. I want to start with you knowing this is a big deal. This Sermon on the Mount was revolutionary. He said some things that we are still being challenged by today. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says this to end the sermon. This is his gotcha. This is his ending, bringing it home words. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24. If you don't have a Bible, it is going to be on the screen. Here's what it says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell. And great was the fall. So up here I have some props. I wanted to do this specifically because I'm a visual learner. I don't know if you're a visual learner. But I've read that story before. But as I visualize this, and now here we have here, we have the rock, that the, the foundation, the, the, the rock that the wise man built his house on. If you can't see it, prop yourself up a little bit. And over here we have the sand that Jesus said there's, there's, there's a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. So here's how I want to illustrate this. Uh, I thought nothing better. I, I was thinking maybe Lincoln logs or, you know, uh, popsicle sticks. But what better than the, the, the um, Legos from our preschool ministry? So here we go. Right here is, this is a, I mean, come on, that's a beautiful mansion right there. I built this. I was sitting Indian style in that room on Thursday and a bunch of people walked in and were like, what, what's our student pastor doing? I'm just making Lego houses. No big deal. All right. So that right there is going to be our wise man, all right? I want you to visualize this because this is what Jesus, when, when, when Jesus was saying this 2,000 years ago, I want these people who are like me and maybe like you, visual learners, this is what they're picturing. Wise man built his house on a rock, but there was a foolish man, and his house is smaller, fool, and he built his house on the sand. So this is the picture that people are getting when, when Jesus says, there's a wise man who built his house in rock. He who hears my words is like this person. He who hears the words and does them is like them. And he who hears the words that I say and doesn't do them is like them. And then Jesus says this. He says that when the rains came, when the ra- rain and the wind, oh boy, I'm going to electrocute myself. When the, wa- the waves and the wind and all that came and hit on the house, what happens? Nothing. Because it's found on the rock. That house is unmoved. That house is, it goes nowhere because it's founded on a rock, on something solid. But then Jesus says, when the, when the wind and the storm and the rains came for this house, that it fell and great was the fall. Like that. I love the seniors. You guys are still, I'm still going to let you get myself. I'm glad you guys still like laugh. <laughs> Legos fell and crashed. <laughs> Just don't do that like your first college class. Sophomores and juniors will be like losers. Go back to high school. But I, I want you to see this because this is significant. Here's the, the picture and the story Jesus is telling. Sometimes we read the Bible and we get all caught up in the words like parables and all these different things. This is it. 
There's a wise man who built his house on a rock. I went and bought some bricks for 39 cents at Home Depot, and I built a Lego house, and I'm showing what he's talking about. And then I went and bought some sand at Home Depot. The fact that you have to buy sand is kind of sad, but I went and bought sand at Home Depot, and I built a Lego house, and I poured some water on it, and it fell. And that's the story. That's the picture that Jesus wants to have in our brains tonight. And great was the fall. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to kind of dissect what Jesus says here about these two people. And I want to challenge you. Which one are you? Sometimes we can get so caught up in God's word and, and we can get so caught up in church lingo. I want you to just simply say, am I that person or am I that person? Hopefully what we look at tonight will help you decide. Matthew chapter 7, it says, he who hears the words of mine and acts on them. Here's what he means by that. Not only does he mean Matthew 5 and 6, because you've got to remember, I don't know how long it took Jesus to say the Sermon on the Mount, but he just says all this stuff and he says, he who hears what I just said, Lust, murder, worrying, praying, not judging, all the things we just spelled out. And again, when you read it tonight or tomorrow, you're going to see there's a whole lot of stuff that I missed and I skipped. But Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he says, everyone who just heard what I said, the person who takes that and acts on it and responds to it and moves from this is what I thought, this is what I heard, now this is what I'm doing. It's like that person. Notice it says, he who hears and responds. Because here's the deal tonight. I know some of you guys, especially seniors, some of you guys have been here since before me. Like I said earlier. Some of you, guys, some of you seniors have been a part of Refuge and Main Service. You guys are like double dipping. You're in church here. You're in church there. And you know all the right answers. Jesus didn't say everyone who hears and can give a good church answer at the end of the question that somebody asks about church. It says, he who hears and responds. See, Jesus never said, as long as you know all the right answers, you're going to get through college, you're going to be fine. As long as you can look somebody and say, yeah, I know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I know all the right answers, but I'm not living it. No, he says, he who hears and responds. I love this about Jesus. And if you don't know, the, the, the New Testament is written in Greek. And so Greek is weird. Greek has like different tenses and kind of like English, and I hate English, and maybe you do too. But the English word for this, he who hears and does, here's what it means. It's not just one time. Like at camp four years ago, I gave my life to Jesus. I heard the gospel and I responded. No, he's saying he who continuously hears and continuously responds. Here's what that means. You and I always have to be moving. You and I always have to be saying, okay, Jesus, what do you got for me? What do you have for me today? What do you have for me? I'm about to embark on a college career. I'm about to be on this baseball team or this basketball team. I'm about to go up and embark on a new season of life in a new state. What do you have for me? I want to hear the word and I want to respond. That's what that word means. It's not a one-time thing. Jesus is saying continuously, he who hears the word and responds is like the man who built his house on a rock. We're always growing. And when the storms of life come, by the way, that are unavoidable, both the guy with the rock and the guy with the sand both encountered storms. There's stuff that happens in this world that you just can't, you just can't know what's coming. The wind's going to come. The storm's going to come. The relationship's going to end. The grades are going to fall. The parents are going to get divorced. Things are going to happen when you go to college, when you go to high school, when you go to junior high, and you're going to be like, what on earth is happening? Even if you're founded on the rock, stuff's going to happen. But Jesus says, the person who hears what I say and responds is that guy. He who hears and does not act on what I say is that guy. How many of you have ever built a sandcastle like at the beach? 
Come on, you're not too cool to build sandcastles. Okay, I built sandcastles too. Cool. I was always the guy that wanted the good sand, so the good sand's closer to the water. You know what I'm talking about? Like the bad sand, you have to work harder when you go way up here. But the reason is because it's better up there because the water's not going to come and wash it away. So I always built my sandcastles like right by the water. And I was like, hey, why did that happen? Because my sandcastle's ruined. That's this guy. The water comes and the castle's gone. Because there's no substance. There's nothing, there's nothing solid. They were ignorers when Jesus was saying the Sermon on the Mount, which is crazy because, I mean, it's the best sermon ever. We talk about it all the time. There's, you know, we, we study it. We look at it. Our whole lives are shaped by it. But people were listening just like some of us sit in church for years and years and years and years and years. And we listen and we listen and we listen and we go, mm, hey, man, I'm going to take notes. I'm going to tweak that. But it says the person who does that and does nothing. There's people that ignored this. That said, oh, that's good, man. That thing with the birds and the, 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 the flowers and the thing about lust and the heart, that's really good. But I'm not going to change. I'm not going to move. I'm going to ignore what Jesus says. Jesus says that person is building his life on something that will fail him every time. I love, again, Greek is amazing. The word that Jesus used here for the word foolish is a, great, uh, is a Greek word that's, that's moros. Does anyone want to guess what English word we get from this Greek word, moros? Moron. So if you think the Bible's boring, you need to just check yourself, okay? Jesus tells this guy, you're a moron. You're like, God said that? Yeah, God said that. Jesus says, you are a moron if you build your house. So this isn't me. Don't get mad at me because I'm, I'm unpacking the words of the Bible. I'm saying this, that Jesus said, if you build your house on anything other than the rock, you're foolish. You're a moron. There's no substance. So here's why I want to get this word picture in your brains. And I hope I got it, right? It worked. The things crashed and this is standing still. Because here's what I I think we do a lot of times. Is we, we try to be a little too intellectual with the Bible. But here's the reality tonight. Every person in the room, whether you are going to college or eighth grade or you are 40 or wherever you are, every person in the main service in a a couple hours that are going to sit there and worship in our main service, everybody in the world today is either building their house on a rock or building their house on sand. That's it. There's no, I'm kind of there. No, you are either building your house on something that's solid and cannot fail you or you are building your house on something that will fail you every single time the rains come. So here's what I want to do tonight. I want to give us two truths, and we're going to move on tonight. We're going to worship a little more. I don't want to belabor this too much, but I want you to get it. I want two truths to sink in tonight. I want to try to make it as simple as possible. If you've taken notes, write these down. Truth number one, the only sure foundation for life is Jesus. Before you say, I know that, before you say, I know the right answer, before you say, I've heard that, I want you to stop, check yourself, and and, and internalize that, no matter where you are tonight. The only sure foundation for life is Jesus. Notice I didn't say the best. I mean, that's the best way. That's the way to most avoid tragedy. I didn't say it's a good way. I didn't say it's the cool way in 2013. I didn't say it was going to get you the most brownie points in your fraternity when you go to school. I said the only sure foundation. Hey, I'm not, again, pulling that for myself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus, all over the scripture, is talking about that he's the only way. And he's the only thing that we have hope in. 
But some of you don't believe that. Just like 2,000 years ago, some people didn't believe Jesus. When he said, you're building your house on sand with no substance and it's going to fail you. Some of you don't believe that. How many people in the room, this is participation, believe in the law of gravity? Raise your hand. Law of gravity. If you don't know what that is, you're still in junior high, it's cool, you're going to get there. Law of gravity, everybody? Okay, here's what that says. Law of gravity is very simple, okay? It's probably confusing when you read it or you study it, but here's what the law of gravity says. If I drop this former house topper of our sand guy, it's going to fall. The law of gravity says, if it went up, it must come down. If you're on planet Earth, that's going to happen. Why? Because the law of gravity says, whatever comes up must go down. I remember the first time I ever went up to the stratosphere. How many people have been up to the stratosphere? Yeah? Okay, uh, I've told you guys a story that the first time I ever walked into a church was the day after my homecoming dance my junior year, okay? So I'm going to tell a story about that homecoming dance. The day before I went to church, me and my two friends were with our dates, and we were trying to mac hard, you know? We were trying to, like, be, be, be cool guys, so how cool are you to take your girl to the stratosphere? Whatever. Don't do that. Um, if you've done that, I'm sure it was romantic. But... Um, <laughs> I went up to the stratosphere, and, you know, it's got a beautiful, it's got a beautiful view, and, you know, we're, like, all decked out in our, our homecoming gear, so people were like, oh, yeah, it must be a school dance. We're like, yeah, we're pretty cool, even though we paid, like, $40 to get up here, seriously. And so we get up to the top of this thing, and, and they just, I'm going to age myself a little bit here, but they just opened up the X-Scream. You guys know what that one is? That one's the one that goes down like this, and you're in, like, the bullet-looking thing, and then it drops. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That's good. You haven't been up there. It's cool. I think it's called the Extreme. I don't know. I haven't been up there since this night. But I, I go on the Extreme because I think I'm going to show this girl and my friends and I are going to show our girls here that we're strong, we're buff, and we don't need, we're not scared, we're not going to scream. And so we go on the Extreme and we go down and I, I think that's it. This is pretty crazy. We're looking down. We're like hanging over the city of Las Vegas. But what I didn't know is if you've been on it, it drops more and like you feel like, oh God, this broke. Like I'm going down. And that's why they want you to think that, because it's the X scream, and they got me to scream. So I'm like, you know, this cool, not really, I was like four nothing and like 100 pounds. But I, I, I'm on the edge of the, the, the stratosphere, and I am on the X scream, and then it drops, and I'm like, ah! And the girl I was homecoming with, she's like, really? I'm like, ah, first and only date, awesome. I haven't been there in a long time, but that ride is nothing compared to this new one that I guess they have. I don't know anything about it, so if you've been on it, don't tell me about it because I have no context. But you ju- you literally jump off the stratosphere. You guys in this? Like you jump off of the stratosphere with like a, it's like bungee jumping, I think. Free fall. Okay, is that what it's called? It's just called free fall? Okay. Stupid. Okay, that is so dumb, okay? But here, here's what I want you to think of. I want you to try to have an imagination with me for a minute. And again, I'm a visual learner. I want you to visualize this. I go up there now and I go, okay, I want to do the free fall thing. The X scream didn't work for me. I want to do the free fall thing. And so I go, but here's the deal, dude. I don't want a, uh, a, a strap thing. I, I, I just want to do it myself. And the guy's like, well, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing. I don't believe in the law of gravity. So I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> He's going to say, okay. Here's the deal. I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it out of there. Here's, what, here's the point I want you to try to see. Simple as possible. It doesn't matter if you believe in the law of gravity. If you go up to the top of the stratosphere and without the free fall harness thing, I jump off. I don't, it doesn't matter if you believe it. You're going down. So it doesn't matter if you believe tonight that 
the stuff that we want to build our lives on has substance. You, you don't, you don't want to believe that there, there's no substance there and you will fall. You don't have to believe that for you to fall. It happens all over our lives, especially young people go to college that first year and they think, I know all the right answers, but I'm going to try to see if I can build a little bit on some sand. Because I don't really believe this whole story Jesus told. You don't have to believe it. It can still happen. I doubt the guy building his house on the sand. Again, this probably really didn't happen, but Jesus is telling the story. I bet you the guy, if he was really building a house, really thought, this is quicker this way. I don't have to lay a foundation. I don't have to do all that. It'll work. I don't really believe that I'll fall. The only sure foundation for life is Jesus. Here's truth number two. Anything other than Jesus will never fully satisfy you. Kind of goes right along with it. here's, Here's what I want you to know on this. The only thing that will fully satisfy you is Jesus. Or the way we say it here, anything other than Jesus will never fully satisfy you. Here's the reality. I want to talk to the seniors for just a minute. I've been where you've been. All, you lead, all of our leaders have been where you've been. Here's, the, here's the, the, the pull that you are going to be pulled into in the next few years. That that's not true. That's what the church people say. That's what the Bible, I mean, how outdated is the Bible? There are plenty of things that will fully, fully satisfy you. Let me show you. And they're going to show you the party route. They're going to introduce you to the fraternities and sororities. And all those aren't bad. Listen, I'm not saying all this stuff that I'm about to say is bad. But they're going to not tell you that it's just good stuff. They're going to say it's good stuff and it will fill you. It will fulfill your desire. It will satisfy you. So, hey, let's go to this party and that party and this party. And this will make you feel like a real-life college kid. It'll satisfy you. Other you guys will chase achievements. Man, I want to be the top of my class. I want to be the star basketball player. I want to be the star soccer player. I want to be, I want to get that, that star role in that play. I want to be the number one, and I want people to know my name in college, whatever college I'm going to or whatever workforce that I'm entering into. You will chase achievements to be fully satisfied. Ben brought this one up in our teaching team meeting, and I loved it. Some people just think... High school's over, I'm about to go be a college kid and just be like lazy as all get out. It's going to be awesome. You don't have to go to class, which by the way is like the big, you will see. The biggest lie ever is no attendance in college. I got to my first year at UNLV and I'm like, sweet, I don't have to really come to this class. She's like, yeah, two absences, you fail. I'm like, all the movies lied to me. Everything that I've been building on since, you know, elementary school is lying to me about college. Here's the reality. Some of you guys will chase this complacent, lazy college kid life you'll say man for the next four years i'm just going to kind of be on cruise control is that cool can i just be fulfilled for the next four years of just saying what college i go to wearing my 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 you know my college garb can i can i get away with that for the next four years will that satisfy me got a lot of our seniors going to play sports in college you might be the big man on campus. You might be in the newspaper. You might be the person that everyone goes, oh, that was the person that won that game for us. And you'll think, this will satisfy me. I don't know how else to say it. Anything other than Jesus that you look for fulfillment and satisfaction and, and, and complete joy will fail you. 
It's like the fool, the moron, as Jesus said, who builds his house on sand because as soon as stuff, junk comes up in your life, it falls. Maybe you're asking the question, why? I mean, you say that, but why? Here's the reality. Some of you guys won't believe it. You'll go on. You'll try to do whatever you want to do to try to fulfill yourself, and it won't work. I have that story. Some of your leaders have that story. And by the way, it's not cool to have that story. A lot of times we get in churches and we're like, oh, man, did you hear that person's testimony? They were like drug addicts. They were like locked away for years, and they came to know Jesus. And we think like, oh, man, I want a testimony like that. No, you don't. The best testimony is the person that said, hey, um, my parents from an early age, or maybe not my parents, but maybe a friend, they told me about this building my life on something solid, and, and really for the last 20-something years, that's what I've been doing, and, and uh, God's been faithful. Best testimony. Not, oh man, I found myself at the bottom of a bottle in college, and then I was addicted to whatever, this or that, and that, and then Jesus rescued me out of that. Hey, that's awesome, and Jesus is faithful even in the junk, but you don't have to go there. It doesn't stop either. The sand could be your reputation. The sand could be the money that you're going to make when you get out of college. Maybe you're going to score a sweet job in college. You're going to make way more money than all your friends. And you're going to think, as long as I have this bank account and people, I can show people and I can buy people things and we go out to dinner and I'm going to pay for everyone's meal and you're going to think, this is going to satisfy me. No, it's sand. And at some point, something's going to happen that's going to make you realize, I'm foolish. We're going to show a video here in just a minute um, by a guy named Josh. He's a, he's a all around the country, speaks to young people, uh, kind of a motivational speaker, but he's a, he's a Christian. And I found this video, and it kind of lands right here in this wise and foolish story that we're in. Before I do that, I want you to know this, that all sand isn't bad. Here's what I mean by that. You could... Try to build your life. I, let, let's use me for example. I could try to build my life on the sand of my relationship with my wife. But Candace and I have now been dating for nine years. We've been married for four and a half, and I love my wife. We have an amazing relationship. We have an amazing little family. We got two in, in the world and one on the way. And my life is awesome with this family. But here's the deal. If I built my house and my life on the, on the sand that is Candace or the sand that is my kids or the sand that is my job or the sand that is whatever is good in my life, They'll fail me because Candace isn't God and my kids aren't God and my job isn't a relationship with God. All sand isn't bad, but building your life on sand will destroy you. Man, I wish I could just put that in your brains because I've lived it and some of these people in this room have lived it and you don't really believe that right now, but I'm telling you, if it's that relationship and right now you're like, no, you don't understand. We're so in love. It's just amazing and we're just going to get married. Okay, that's fine. One day you might get married and it might be amazing, but if you build your life on that relationship, what happens when that relationship goes south? Your house crashes, your life crashes, and you wonder why. Because there's only one sure foundation. And there's a lot of good, awesome sand that can be around this foundation. But the foundation is Christ. The foundation is your relationship with God. Anything other than that will never satisfy you. Even if the stuff you're trying to get to satisfy you isn't bad. We're going to watch this video, and I want you to, especially seniors, it's a video that everyone else can benefit from it. Don't tune out. But it is a video this guy made specifically to the class of 2013. So it's a, it's a, it's a, about a 
eight-minute video. So check out the, the video from a guy named Josh about being wise and foolish. Greetings, class of 2013. I'm Josh Shipp, author of The Teen's Guide to World Domination, and this is the graduation speech you need to hear. Now, I've heard dozens of graduation speeches over the years, and most of them were, uh, how do I say, colossally boring. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today, four score and seven years ago, to hold these truths to be self- Or, even worse, they were filled with uh, stupid, unhelpful cliches. You are the future. This is the beginning of the future, right now, in the present. Here's the thing, you're sitting there, dressed up in your nice clothes, looking all handsome, man or lovely, wearing that silly cardboard hat. This is a big milestone, so congratulations. But I guarantee you that no one in your class is sitting there right now thinking, you know, when I grow up, do you know what I want to be? Do you? Hmm? A failure. I want all my relationships to fail. I want to be in massive debt. I want to ruin all of my relationships so I can die miserable and alone. Except for my seven cats. Now, obviously no one is sitting there thinking that except for that guy who takes YOLO literally. Yo guys, let's go crazy, man. YOLO. I'm talking, I'm not going to brush my teeth. My tooth. I'm only using mouthwash, YOLO. I'll Febreze my face, hashtag YOLO. When a teacher, hmm, when a teacher asks for a volunteer, I'll stand up and scream, I'm volunteer as tribute. YOLO, YOLO. Look, the term YOLO was originally created to communicate, make something awesome of your life because you only live once, right? That makes sense. We only live once and we want our lives to count. Well, uh, some people have you know, taken that and twisted it to mean, hey, do something stupid, selfish, and dangerous, because YOLO. Dude, listen to me. Put down the tablespoon of cinnamon and get down from the roof. You're not a pterodactyl. You can't fly. So you really do only have one life to live, and if you don't want to waste your life, then here is the single most important question you could ask yourself in any given situation. What is the wise thing to do? Honestly, you have two options here. You can live with wisdom, or you can live with regret. <coughs> Lindsay Lohan. So you must hunt down wisdom. So some of you are sitting there thinking, all right, that sounds good and all, but where do you find said wisdom other than within the follicles of Abraham Lincoln's beard, the sixth member of the Duck Dynasty? You find wisdom by following the advice of caring adults. Now, to some of you, that may sound crazy. You know, uh, maybe you're a bit like me. You don't like anyone telling you what to do. That's not what this is about. The fact is, this is the time in your life when you're least likely, by default, to listen to adults, but you most need it. Right? I get it. I grew up as a foster kid. I bounced around from home to home to home to home. I was hurt. I was abandoned. Uh, honestly, I was even abused. And for me, growing up, it's like, I didn't trust adults because it seemed like, you know, everyone that I was allegedly supposed to trust seemed to let me down. But eventually, you know, I stopped shutting people out. And I discovered that caring adults really, genuinely, are worth trusting. A teacher, my foster parents, a big brother. When I started hanging around uh, with adults that I respected, and I began to learn from them, my life began to change for the better. Listen to me, so will yours. You are genuinely one 
caring adult away from being a success story. So my advice, go find a caring adult that you respect, ask them specifically, hey, how can I improve my life? Implement what they say, and then wash and repeat. Now some of you are a little bit freaked out about the idea of the future, right? And I get it, there are so many unknowns. I posted this question on Facebook, I was like, hey, you know, what uh, freaks you out about the future? Had a slew of responses. Uh, people were like, you know, how will I pay my bills? Where will I live? Will I even be able to get a job after I graduate? Uh, who will do my laundry? Yeah, I mean, like, genuinely a lot of questions. But the meta message in all of those responses is this. Everyone on some level admitted that they were afraid of something. So here's the good news for you. You're not weird or alone for being afraid. During the next few years of your life, you're going to make some big decisions that could affect the rest of your life. So what you need is courage to take action despite your fear. Otherwise, you're going to end up like some paranoid lunatic sitting there afraid, mumbling to yourself. You know, the mind's actually miscalculated. The end of the world is this year. Y yes, zombies are scary, but do you know what's more scary? A zombie shark. That's why I don't go in the water. I'm also afraid of dampness. You can realize that if you uh, 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 scramble the letters in Kim Kardashian's name, you get drama, khaki ice, hmm? Do you? Coincidence? I think not. Look, let's be honest, I get that the unknowns are scary, but you don't have to give in to that level of cynicism, fear, or um, overall bizarreness. So here's my advice for you, it's simple. Do you remember Indiana Jones? Please tell me you remember Indiana Jones. They don't remember Indiana Jones. Your mother and I are very disappointed. But okay, uh, what about Dora the Explorer? Yep. Great, okay, let's work with that. So imagine that Dora fell into a cave and she wakes up and she's surrounded by total darkness. I'm talking pitch black. Would she be afraid? Of course she would, right? She has no idea where she is or what she's gonna do or how to get out. Maybe this is how you feel right now as you're about to graduate. You have no idea what's ahead and life genuinely feels about as scary as a pitch black cave. Now, here's the respectable thing about Dora. Uh, she would not be paralyzed by her fear. I mean, what are you going to do? Live the rest of your life in a cave? That would be terrible. So she would find the courage to take action despite her fear. Here's what I suppose she would do, and here's what I'm suggesting you should do. Step one, ask yourself, what do I have on me? Now, what I mean by that is, you know, think about what resources or help or assistance do you have at your disposal, right? Maybe a flashlight or a flare or a mentor, or if you're Dora, a freaking commercial jet. It's unreal what that woman could fit into a backpack. Consider what resources do you have and how can it help? Step two, take a small step. This is key, take a small step, right? Not a big one, you know, you take a huge step, there's a cliff there, you fall, you die, game over, but a little one. And small step by small step, you slowly keep moving forward until you find yourself on your way and into the light. This, my Dora-loving friend, is how you make it through life. Do you know how much of our world is unpredictable? To be honest, all of it, right? That's a fact. The only thing that I can promise you with absolute certainty is this. If I wear your granddad's clothes, I'm going to look incredible. And I do indeed only have $20 in my pocket. So, look, it's okay to be afraid, right? It's perfectly normal to be afraid. You're not weird or broken or destined for failure. If you're afraid, you're 
human. Just don't be paralyzed by your fear. Difficult and impossible are not synonyms. Find the courage to take action despite your fear. Courage is simply being afraid, but moving forward anyway. So be courageous. Look, 2013, you are entering a complicated world full of challenges. The crippling economic debt, pandemic global disease and poverty, the sickness of corporate greed, and a world where absolutely terrible things like Newtown and Boston happen. Our world is filled with complex problems that can sometimes feel like a pitch black cave. However, if you seek wisdom from caring adults and take that next small step, despite your fear, you can change the world. Okay, um, I'll admit it, that was probably a little bit cliche. Let's try it again. You're probably not gonna change the world. How's that for inspirational? I mean, that's Andorra and her backpack. But here is a genuine truth. You can change somebody's world, right? I mean, you can't do something about everything, but you can genuinely do something about something. You can make a positive impact on that sliver of the world that you touch. And if enough of you do that, well, that could genuinely, I mean genuinely, change everything for the better. Class of 2013, we're all counting on you. No pressure. Here's why I want to show you that. I'm, I'm almost down. I'm going to invite the band up in just a minute. Two things he said. That as I was studying for this message, um, somebody blogged that video, and I thought, that's a, that's a really good. Here's what he said. He said, what's the wise thing to do? And I want to, again, speak. That's for everybody. This story, this illustration of build your life on the rock or build your life on the sand, that's for everyone, but specifically for you seniors. Two things he said. He said, what's the wise thing to do? And he, he, he encouraged us to get some people around us. Here's what you got to know. I don't know if you're going off to school. A lot of you guys are. A lot of you guys are staying here. Uh, you have a church family here that loves you. You have small group leaders. Some of you guys have literally walked with your small group leader for years. That person may be the person that that guy was talking about. That you can always call up and you can always say, hey, I have a question. My, my professor said this. I don't understand this or that or this or that. It doesn't matter if you are in Tennessee or Montana or you're here in Las Vegas. You can always, always, always recount on this that we here at Hope are here for you. Just because you're graduating from refuge doesn't mean you're going to go away forever and we're never going to see you again. Second thing he said is taking the small step. We talked about this for the last four weeks in Refuge. You have got to own your faith, and you've always got to be moving. You're about to embark on a new season of life where people aren't going to call you, or, you, you know, if you're sleeping, your mom's not going to wake you up and say, hey, you're late for school, or whatever it might be for you that you right now have been kind of living in. You need to begin to own and take responsibility for your own faith. And that includes taking small steps. As I close in the band, you guys can go ahead and come up. Here is some indicators that I want to give you, and this is for everybody, some indicators of a solid life. This doesn't mean that you for sure are on the rock, because only you can answer that, whether you're building your life on the rock that is Jesus, but here's some indicators that I bet you if you give me somebody who's doing these things, they're probably pretty solid, and they're probably not building their house on sand. Indicators of a solid life, here's the first one, spending time daily in God's word. 
You show me somebody who daily in college or in eighth grade or a senior in high school, wherever you might be, or an adult, you daily spend time in God's word. Here's what I know is God's word is powerful. It's going to change you. Even if you are right now, you know, sand building, you will be changed by the word of God and the power of God. And you're going to say, man, I'm building my life on something that's faulty. Here's another indicator of a solid life is that you would plug into a church or a community, specifically through seniors who are going away. One of the most, I know this is going to sound epic, but I'm serious. This is more, to me, important than your schooling or more important than your best friends at your class or what you're going to eat for lunch tomorrow, what church you're going to go to. Do not go off to college and go, uh, I hope I find a church. And then I, you come back in the summer and say, hey, what church? Ah, I'm still looking around. Don't do that. You desperately need the community that is the church of Jesus. Plug in to a church. Next one is what Josh mentioned. Walk with somebody ahead of you. Some, not, not your peers, somebody who's a little further down the road. Maybe that's your small group leader. Maybe you Skype your small group leader every week. You say, man, I want to make this a priority to be accountable to my small group leader or to be accountable to somebody in my life that's a little further down the road than me. Walk with that person. That's an indicator of a solid life. And last one is, again, what he mentioned, is taking steps in your faith. Don't come back next summer. And say, yeah, man, I just, I haven't really grown much. I've just been, uh, I don't know, I just, I just can't get over camp a couple years ago. I just want that back. Listen, camp is never coming back. We cannot look at these mountaintop experiences and say, I just want to go back there. We are called to take steps and to be discipled and to walk with Jesus moving forward.